Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. From the case files of Miss Maureen 118212, the case of the replacement rodent. A woman called asking for the number of a pet shop. She needed a new hamster before her son returned from school. I didn't ask what happened to the original hamster. Best not to know some things. Maureen! 118212! For directory inquiries, call Maureen on 118212. Calls cost 250 per call plus 75p a minute with a minimum one minute charge plus your phone company's access charge. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. It's time to get back to normal, folks. It's time to get back to work. It's time to stop hanging about at home, waiting for everything to stop being weird. It's time to get back out there. This is very much the message pushing through from Downing Street this morning and presumably for most of this week, right? Don't worry about China. Don't worry about the biggest number of coronavirus cases ever from Brazil, America and India. After all, they're all a very, very long way away. Forget about the difficulties of getting around and going away on holiday. Just get on with it. And if you think I'm being flippant, I'm really not. I'm actually being very, very serious. The cities of this country are in need of some serious TLC. We spoke last week to a woman from Birmingham who makes baked potatoes in the middle of Birmingham city centre. She spent the entire day working away, trying to make a living and sold 11 potatoes. It's simply not good enough. The shops need to be open. The restaurants need to be making food. The bars and pubs need to be serving drinks. And yet we are told that fewer than 10% of the working population is actually out there spending money and building the economy. Well, quite frankly, it's not good enough. Forget your civic duty to stay at home. You now have a civic duty to go out. We'll be checking in with Andre Walker for some ideas on how to get everything going properly because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm getting sick to death of the fact that only a very few people have decided to come back to work. 10% of the civil servants are coming back to work. They all need to be back at work. 10% of the financial companies in Canary Wharf back to work. No, bring them all back to work. Why the heck not? 0344 499 1000. We'll be picking over the big stories from the weekend to help you through your starts of the week. Plus, we want your help as well. Are you back at work this week? And if you're not, we want to know why not. Coming up, we'll be finding out just what our schools will be doing with an extra £2 billion in funding announced today by Gavin Williamson. And we'll be asking just why the police are now talking about a ban on the use of words like jihadist and Islamist terrorists when talking about um, Islamist terrorists. It's as if the world has gone collectively stark, staring, bonkers mad. If you get blown up by a Muslim terrorist, apparently, it should be classified as faith-claimed terrorism. 
What complete and utter balderdash. 0344 499 1000. Also, we'll be looking ahead to the impending lockdown in Barcelona and how the red kite was saved from extinction. An incredible story uh, of nature back in the wild. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk now, though, about the state of the COVID-19 situation, because what we saw over the course of the weekend, of course, uh, we're going to be going to Spain shortly, uh, where they might be doing a local lockdown in Barcelona. We saw huge um, in, uh, sort of increases in the numbers of cases in Brazil, in India, uh, and in the United States of America. Florida apparently now is the epicentre uh, of the pandemic in America. Uh, let's talk now to Dr. Mark Parrish, who is, of course, Regional Director for Northern Europe International S. OS. Mark, a very good morning to you. Hello, Mike. Good morning to you. How's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. So um, what, what did you make of, I mean, you, you keep your eyes on all things internationally. What did you make of, I mean, I wasn't that surprised, to be honest, that the numbers are increasing in places like Brazil and India and the US. No, I think we're, um, in India particularly, I think we're really in early stages of this pandemic and um, it's going to take a few more months before it reaches a peak and starts stabilising. So reasons are really, Mike, that, you know, the the testing capability and therefore the monitoring is maybe not quite so good in some of those countries as as others. Right. And so we're seeing a bit of a lag. And I think even then the numbers reported, you know, numbers of cases and deaths are are probably very uh, underreported. Yes. uh, Purely because of that. And I think, you know, for us here in England, it's a bit of a feeling, well, it's all gone away, so it's not a problem anymore. Mm. So why should we worry? But actually we should because there's every likelihood that we will have other outbreaks popping up, as we've seen. Yeah, we saw in Leicester. Uh, we're seeing it in Hong Kong at the moment. We're seeing it in other countries. I think we'll have more here. We just have to make sure we don't become complacent. Right. That's the key thing. But is it also not a good idea to find out why we're getting these little spikes? Because one thing that seems to be clear to me is that it's a localised thing more than it is a national thing. So that, for example, you know, when you and I spoke, uh, when we did that show down the pub uh, back mm. at the beginning of, uh, of the month, you get to the point where you say, well, look, you know, does, is, is it possible that this disease has kind of spread geographically through the country and has kind of moved north as it's gone? Uh, now it seems as though certainly in the southeast, there's not that much of it knocking around. However, we must be vigilant to ensure that somebody doesn't bring it back in from somewhere so that we have to get better at maybe um, monitoring people's movements, better at monitoring, testing people, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, I think we need to be better at a couple of things, making sure that we're all continue to be aware of what we need to do to prevent this popping back up again, yeah. and then making sure that we do have the ability to monitor it and then manage it. So, And that's what we're really concerned about. So places like Leicester, you know, there's a little pop-up there um, for reasons we're not completely sure about. And this is the other thing, we don't always know that. But we need to make sure we can then keep it in Leicester right. and it doesn't spread out. Because, of course... Lots of us still haven't had this virus, Mike, so we are still, you know, liable to get it. Mm. Um, and, of course, those of us that are more vulnerable um, have come to the end of their three-month, or coming to the end of their three-month period, the government said, look, please don't go outside. Yeah. So they'll get another letter in a, in a week's time or so. They'll want to start relaxing things, but we don't want to expose them to any more risk, do we? Well, no, so we don't. But at the same time, out. we also don't want to have people living through this kind of madness where they can't worry about risk at any point in time, you know, because presumably, um, and you've said this, I think, to me before, you know, the, the disease will probably never go away, you know, completely. So we need to sort of come to terms with it as well so that, you know, yes, there may, there may be a bit of a risk, but you, you can then decide whether you want to take that. 
Yes, balance that risk against all of the other things yeah. that cause us risk every day, crossing the road, using transport, doing any number of things. Yeah. There's a risk to everything. And, of course, from other healthcare things as well. Right. You know, we, well, I've been we saying, I mean, I've been saying all, yeah, I've been saying all morning, Mark, you know, it's not acceptable to me that big corporations who run uh, big office uh, spaces, say, for example, in Canary Wharf, are only inviting 10% of their employees back in. You know, that's never going to work. That's never The economy is never going to get back to anywhere near normal until they start getting much higher levels of people coming back into work. Well, we do a lot of work with those companies, Mike. Um, and if I, can, I can think of a big one that we look after and advise uh, in Canary Wharf. Yeah. Um, and for them, uh, what they have discovered is that they can continue to work effectively uh, with a mix of remote working and office working. Um, and, of course, they're now thinking about, well, how much office space actually do we need yes. over the next couple of years? At the same time, they know they can keep their workplaces safe from COVID or pretty low risk. Mm. Um, but the risk is more the, the, the journey in and out of work and a workforce who has become quite capable and often quite happy to work from home. Yeah. So no, listen. I, I, I don't do blame the that? I don't blame the individuals who are quite happy to work from. I'm sure I'm sure they love it, you know. But that's not the point. The point is, is that Canary Wharf is full, as you know better than I do, of restaurants. It's full of uh, sandwich bars. You know, the the world's most expensive sandwiches you can buy there from that place with beginning with B that I'm not going to give a free advert to. You know, thirteen quid or something for a salt beef sandwich. You know, these places will die. They will. And that's the problem, isn't it? That is the big challenge. And that's the, and again, it all comes back to this balance. I mean, I think we're starting to go out. You know, we went to the pub at the weekend. Yeah. Um, it was it was fine. Um, it wasn't particularly busy. I didn't need to book in advance. Mm. It all went very smoothly. Um, I think we all want to do that. Yeah. Um, those of us like even because we have an office you know, out by Chiswick, the challenge there is, you know, how do you keep the local, maybe the more office focused retail establishments going when there are less people there right. that's going and i think it's going to have a continual effect on us right. I, I really think it's going to be uh, look i'm not a retail expert mike but I, I we do work with the retail companies and i think they are finding it very challenging yeah oh i think they are and i think that is part of the problem because at some stage or other and i know that you and i should talk about covid's uh, vaccine coming up in a minute but you know I, I, you're an expert in this so i, I want to talk to you about this well i mean you're you're well, people are paying you to be an expert so you better be one um here's the thing do we at some point have to take a decision that actually none of this is going to get back to normal so let's forget about the high street let's forget about um you know the business of uh, of, of retail kind of um you know takeaway food let's forget about places like pret-a-manger um and uh you know leon and all these other outlets people are just never going to go back there i think they will go back there it may not be in the same amounts but on the other side of that if you look at it Look at a country like the United States, which mm. has really gone the wrong way, I think, with this. They opened up too early. Yeah. Uh, so you look at uh, a state like California, doing very well in March and April, yeah. dealing with coronavirus, and then just relaxed us far too early and now has huge numbers of cases. And this is reflected across the U.S., as you said um, just earlier. So that's what we need to be very careful about. Uh, and the meanwhile, as you say, vaccine hopefully are coming along, but maybe not as quickly as we might be led to believe from the media. Well, quite. I mean, a story this morning saying the UK secured early access to 90 million COVID-19 vaccine doses. But I mean, until the actual vaccine is available, it doesn't really matter, does it? No, no. Um, how long will it take? I mean, let's look at a few facts here. We've had HIV for 40 years and never had a vaccine for it. Um, the average, the quickest we've ever been able to manufacture a vaccine so far is five years. Mm. It's complex stuff. Um, you have, we have a coronavirus, 
Um, previous research on coronavirus vaccines has shown it's a bit tricky making a vaccine for it. That doesn't mean it's impossible. Uh, but what you want to do is to make a vaccine which is safe uh, and effective. Those are the two things. Um, and balancing, you have to balance that. So you might want it to be very safe, uh, but you may not need it to be completely 100% effective. Right. If you make it 70 or 80% effective, that's probably enough to make sure that we have this what's called herd immunity, and therefore that will just knock the, vaccine, knock the virus out. But boy, it's complex. It really then is. You need, then you need to make 7 billion doses of this stuff, <laughs> at least, you know, for the world. I know. And then you may need to make sure that you can ship it around the world um, and you can store it safely because, you know, most vaccines you keep at about 4 degrees centigrade. Mm. Now, that's in the fridge. But with the vaccines that you might need to make for COVID, these are called RNA virus uh, vaccines because RNA is, is, the, is the chemical you're trying to kind of sort out. They need to be kept much, much colder. And that then causes you problems with your supply chain because it's fine keeping stuff at maybe minus 80 in a country like the UK and shipping it around. But when you want to get it out to India and places, mm. that is tricky. Yeah. Um, and then how long does it last? How long is the vaccine going to last? How many doses do we need of it? Is it one shot? Is it two right. shots? Yeah. As we get older, our ability to respond to a vaccine becomes less. You know, our whole systems are just slowing down, Mike, sadly. You and I, we well, listen, tell me about it. You're not quite as quick, mate. Hey, you know that, <laughs> just like me. Yeah. So maybe, you know, for the elderly, we might need more than one dose. It's all, it's really tricky stuff. Mm. Um, and so, what about? Okay. I'm also reading. Just finally, we're running out of time slightly, oh, Mark, sure. but because I've been rabbiting on about all sorts of other things. SNG001, uh, which sounds like something out of a James Bond film. Apparently, this is a new experimental drug which is uh, working well on those who have uh, become critically ill with coronavirus. What, what can you tell me about that, Mike? I'm going to have to phone a friend on that one because okay. uh, I haven't heard of SNG001. But I tell you what, I'll look it up. All right. And next time we speak, I'll give you. A lot of detail. Splendid. This is why we like you, Mark, because you don't pretend you know stuff you don't know. Dr. Mark Parrish, Regional Director for Northern Europe and International SOS, but also a man who's been consulted on many a situation regarding returning to offices, companies, big companies in particular, uh, wanting to repopulate or not repopulate their offices. But I think the trouble is, right, as long as they don't do it, then all of the, the sort of the, the things that rely upon footfall, that rely upon people coming into cities. Now, you might say to me, look, I think it's a great idea that cities are going to have to be reconstituted, that they're going to have to become places where only cyclists go. Well, I'll tell you what, I, for one, would not vote for that. I really wouldn't. I think I'd have to move somewhere where uh, it was a proper city because that's where I want to live. It's as simple as that. That's where I want to work. It's where I want to walk. It's where I want to go shopping. It's where I want to go drinking. It's where I want to go eating. It's all of the things that a city is about. If a city is going to become a ghost town, as if it was made by some uh, architect, and it's all green spaces and, you know, cubes and statues and things like that. No, that's not what I want. Is that what you want? This is Talk Radio. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Slightly earlier than we normally do it. I'm delighted to say it's time to welcome Peter Hitchens uh, to the show because uh, uh, he's got a train to catch later on. Peter, very good morning to you. 
Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. So slightly earlier, for those of you who are not expecting Peter until 11, uh, you better get on it now. I've tweeted out that you're that you're here. Another fascinating uh, column this weekend. We've just been talking in the first half hour, Peter, about how ridiculous it is that so many big companies are failing to do what I regard as their sort of civic duty and tell people to come back to work. Too many people are being allowed to stay from uh, working from home and, and there's no chance of the economy ever coming back unless the companies take some responsibility here. Well, it, it, it does seem very odd, but I have a feeling that they're legally constrained. I think under the circumstances, given the way the government has portrayed this disease, uh, people can turn around to employers and say, look, you're asking me to come and take a major risk with my life. And the, the employers are going to be very much afraid to do so. And I think their insurers will probably tell them they can't do it. And this is the whole problem that's been from the beginning. Mm. Until the government admits they made a huge mistake by overstating the danger from the start, we are stuck with this completely. But then surely the problem should be solved by the private sector then. You know, because it's, I, I take your point that the insurance companies might be saying to people, you have to be very careful about forcing people back to work. I get that. But I can't understand why we have now seemingly got the bulk of a population who used to be very dynamic, who are now very happy to be completely undynamic. Well, it's, it's all part of this extraordinarily uh, over overplayed action by the government, this huge overreaction by the government, uh, and the the way in which they deliberately stirred up excessive fear at the beginning, which has completely changed the nature of the country. And what we had before was a country which was used to the disciplines of work, used to the disciplines of commuting, and these things had been built up over many, many decades of Well, centuries, uh, of, you might of, say. Of work. And, yeah, yeah well, you could say, but in the, in the case of the people involved, uh, they, they've seen their parents do it, they've done themselves, they've seen their, 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 their school fellows and colleagues do it. That's what you did. You got up in the morning, you went to work, mm. and, and that, that, has, that link has now been broken. And this is the whole problem about both traditions and, and taboos and habits. They're much easier to break than they are to build up. And having been broken, they're very hard to reestablish. And as long as pe- I, I find it, I mean, never having suffered, from the view that we face here a terrible, terrifying, unprecedented plague, uh, it's never troubled me. But I know there's an awful lot of people, quite su- people who've surprised me, people who I regarded as intelligent and level-headed, have taken the view that there is a, a major threat to their life and health here and a major threat to the lives and health of others whom they may affect. And they are scared stiff. And some of them may be using this as an excuse. Uh, and, and shame on them if... But I think that's the case, you see, because I, I, simply, I simply don't believe, Peter, that all of these people, many of whom you refer to as people that you knew uh, and that you regarded as intelligent and reasonably level-headed, I simply don't believe that they're frightened. Because what's there to be frightened of? You know, there is literally no evidence at this moment in time uh, that most of us will have any problem whatsoever with this disease. Now, back in March, there was plenty of, of reason to be, shall we say, hesitant about going out in public. There was plenty of reason to avoid public transport because there was an awful lot we didn't know. But we now know an awful lot more. And I refuse to believe that all these people who are refusing to go back to work are actually frightened. I think they're just using it as an excuse. Well, you may well be right, but we can't, in the nature of our society, make windows into men's and women's private thoughts. We have to take on trust what they say, and and there you get back to the same problem. What can employers do? If they want people to come back and people won't come back, what can they do? They say, come back to work, and people reply, but look, if I come back to my place of work, it's full of notices saying, 
keep clear of everybody. It's full of desks which are taped off. It's full of lavatories which are taped mm-hmm. over. It's full of people taking your temperature and demanding you wear face muzzles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're telling me that all these things are going on, and it's safe. And, and the employer has to answer, well, of course, we have to take these precautions. Yeah. And the, 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 the employee says, well, if you're taking all these precautions, how can you simultaneously tell me it's safe? The yeah. government's telling you this. And so we're stuck with this until the whole thing is knocked, uh, knocked away at its base. And its base was the government's initial resort to fear. It won't go away. And what, what is the government doing? Far from pulling back from scaring people, it's now demanding that everybody who goes into a shop wears a face muzzle from the end of this week. Uh, It's already doing that on public transport. And on top of that, uh, it's constantly going on about an alleged second wave, for which I have to say there is no scientific medical evidence. But it's uh, the doctors who are telling us this. Closing down Leicester, for goodness sake. Yeah, but it's the doctors who are telling us this. I mean, even today on the front page of The Guardian, which I'm afraid I've just ripped up again, you know, they've got this ridiculous idea that we should all be living in terror of a a second wave and that we should all realise that it hasn't gone away. Similarly, at the weekend, we're hearing terrible stories from India, from Brazil, from Florida, the United States of America, you know, all places very much further away uh, than, than than we need to worry about. But you see an awful lot of news organisations and broadcasters fall for this. What, what we're mostly getting is figures of people who've been tested as being infected, yeah. but they're not ill. Right. And, and, the, and, and this is very much also the case of the, the, the figures for infections here. And we had the extraordinary discovery by Carl Hennigan of the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine in Oxford last week that the, the Public Health England figures for deaths, which are being trotted out or were being trotted out daily by the government, were simply wrong. If you've been ever tested for COVID and, and, and found to be positive, however long ago it was, your death was being recorded mm. as a COVID death. Whereas even in Scotland, which has been pretty virulent about trying to spread fear in this matter, even in Scotland they have a 28-day cutoff. And what was happening in, in, in the English figures was that people who were being run over by buses were being recorded as COVID deaths uh, because three months ago they tested positive for the mm. disease. This is the sort of exaggerated, inflated nonsense which is constantly going on, which, as it said, particularly the BBC, uh, but other media as well, constantly repeat over and over again, fanning the, the embers of fear whenever it looks like dying down. Yeah, and, and quite rightly, Matt Hancock has now uh, ordered an investigation into all of this, so it would appear that even he doesn't believe it. Well, I mean, it's all an investigation. What else could he do? You can't really argue with a very distinguished person like Carl Hennigan when he tells you, the figures you're using are wrong. Mm. Uh, you have to do something, but ordering an investigation isn't really enough, is it? And then you have to go back, it seems to me, and towards all the figures that have been produced and are still widely believed of the death rate for this disease, which have included for a very long time people who almost certainly did not die of COVID and who can't be shown to have done so. Mm. But we've accepted these exaggerated figures over and over again as a fact. The It's... A lot of people have a lot of responsibility for fanning this fear. That's why the economy isn't going to get going again. And why when the moment comes, uh, when the, the furloughing comes to an end and people discover that they've got no jobs, the jobs for which they've been paid by the government for the past several months, probably really towards the middle and end of September, I think, will be the time of reckoning. The economy, which really frantically needs to be, to be reinvigorated before then, will be in no state to take what happens. 
No, quite. And in your piece at the weekend in the Mail on Sunday, you point to one or two, shall we say, inconsistencies in the position of the World Health Organization with regard to the wearing of masks and or face coverings. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, this is an extraordinary story. And uh, Deborah Cohen, of, of the, B- the rare example of the BBC of somebody doing their job with proper diligence, working for, for Newsnight as medical correspondent. So she won't last. Looking into... Well, ah, well, maybe, but I think she's, you know, she's, very, she's medically qualified, apart from anything else. It's very hard to, to, to gainsay her. But here's the point, and I quote her because of the, 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 if, if I said this, people will say, oh, well, it's just Hitchens. But what happened was she went to the World Health Organization and said, why was it that you changed your advice on face muzzles from being in favor of them, from being in, against them, to being in favor of them? And she found out that the committee, which was supposed to be looking at this, had actually not wanted to be in favor of them, but had come under political pressure to do so. Mm. And, uh, so and, and so now... And just, uh, 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 she went to the WHO and said, is this true? Because she'd got, she'd got this from confidential contacts. And the WHO didn't deny it. They, 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 they simply gave way to it. This is what we have. We have a, a situation where a major body came under political pressure. Now, the question you have to ask is, and this is, as I say, an attested story uh, produced by a, a, an unquestioned, reputable correspondent, of a major news organization. And, and, and here we have this extraordinary thing, political pressure uh, to give medical advice. Where does that pressure come from? Mm. I believe it comes from governments who have learned that they, that they can distill power out of fear, uh, were worried that there wasn't sufficient fear for them to distill power for what is coming, which is this huge economic explosion. But what uh, I, what weird, I find hard to believe, that. Peter, listen, I accept uh, all of your criticisms. Uh, I accept all of your statements. What I can't understand um, is why. What I don't get is, you know, why is the government continuing um, to, to, to sort of to take us down this road, which which cannot be anywhere good at the end of the day? I mean, I accept that they there may be a reason why they can't admit they made terrible mistakes in the past, because that might have complications and, and legal ramifications and all sorts of compensatory claims might result from it. However, um, nevertheless, why would they continue to make the economy um, slow, uh, so slow to recover. What would be in it for them? It's not that they want it to be slow to recover. I think the intelligence, uh, to the extent that we have anybody in the government, particularly in, the, in and around the Treasury and some other ministers who understand economics at all, uh, which isn't a, a large number of people in this government, to the extent we have them, they're very worried and they want to do something about it. They've been trying for some months now to, to, to get to get the government to understand, to get particularly Mr. Johnson, who's, I think, economically illiterate, to understand the damage that he's done and is doing. And we know that he only, only understood very late in the day that he'd done the amount of economic damage he's done. It's not that they want it to be like this. It's that they don't know how to put it right. They don't know how to, uh, how to take actions which would change their lives. And this is the simple problem arises again, as you rightly admit, admitting you've made a mistake is extremely difficult. Mm. One of the most difficult actions requiring the most courage and resolution of anybody ever takes in politics, and you seldom get thanked for it. I think, I'm afraid, it comes down to that. These people are not very bright. They're not very good at what they, at what they do. They understand they've made a mistake, but they don't see any way of getting themselves out of it. They're hoping that somehow or other it'll come right in the end, in the last reel. 
Well, let's let's have a look at some of the messages I'm getting here. Uh, one here from um, from a bloke calls himself Cockney bloke. I've been going to Canary Wharf once a week for the last month and cannot believe how empty it is. It is only the construction workers and waitros that are working. And Katie says, uh, I live in Bristol and work for a bank with office space of 2,000 people. We have been told we won't be asked back in until at least after Christmas, even though there are many colleagues who want to go back in. The company has issued over 7,000 new laptops for home working over the last three months and is now letting out much of the office space we are not using. It's not just about the work shy. Many people aren't going back because their employers have realised they save a great deal of money by keeping us at home. So, you know, there's no incentive for anyone. No, that is a very important point. I think that the and, and this is hugely significant, particularly for people who are relying on pensions to mm. see them through their declining years, many of which have relied very much on in property investment and on rents. Yeah. The big, the great boom days of, of rents for central London offices may be yeah. over because employers have realized that they can work much more cheaply uh, by, by, by getting their workers to stay at home. Yeah. And this could be one of the unintended consequences of this. That simply there are quite large numbers of companies which don't particularly want their workers to come back and, uh, and are happy to leave things as they are. And yeah. you, you, you don't want to rule that. And it is a, it is a factor. It's not everybody. Some organizations can't really work without having people coming in. But I think a lot have realized yeah. that they can do this. And I think the economic revolution, which, which, which will result from this, on top of all the other things that happen, is going to leave a lot of people considerably worse off than they were. Yeah. I, can't, I can't say it enough. The damage we have done to our economy is so far-reaching, so all-pervading. Uh, that it affects practically every corner of it. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And I mean, you travel on the trains. I don't so much as you do. Have you noticed much of an increase in the last week or so? Because we were told last Monday we were supposed to see a a, a sort of a bit of a boost in terms of people coming into work. Same this Monday. I'm not seeing it. Very interestingly, what I have noticed is that the more people travelling at weekends, Hmm. not really during the working week, but on Saturday I noticed, because I I go into work on Saturday, and I did notice... That on Saturday there was there, there, there was more what you might call leisure travel. Okay. But in terms of people going to work, not, and that that seems to me to be very significant. Yeah. People are more ready to travel by train, though nothing like in the numbers of before, uh, but not for work. Yeah. So something is happening, but it's not a return to work. Right. Well, this is what I'm seeing as well. If the weather's good, people are out and about in their cars, going to the coast, uh, you know, going to have ice cream and doing plenty of things with their free money and their free time. But what they are definitely yes. not doing is working. And I think that is... I mean, Except I, I, for people in, in, in the construction industry and things like that, if you get up early in the morning and go on the London Tube, it's full of, it's full of, of people going off to work in construction sites. Well, it's full of people who can't it, work it, from it, home, it, effectively. It, 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 yeah, but it, well, it, yes, indeed. But as soon as you get into the old, the old middle-class desk worker, white-collar area of the, the, that period of the rush hour, which is mainly made up of office workers, the, the Tube's empty. Yeah. But this is the other thing, I think, Peter, that, for example, I said this last week, the civil servants should be being ordered back to work because they are, uh, to, to a large extent, the backbone of an awful lot of central London's office workers. There's thousands of them. Uh, most of them are not working at the moment in those huge offices around Whitehall. Most of those places are empty. And, I mean, surely the government should be forcing them back to work. But, of course, they're too frightened to do that because of the likes well, of Keir Starmer, who every time Boris Johnson tries to do anything positive, uh, he gets told, oh, you may be being reckless. Well, there is that too. And of course, Keir Starmer is referring to the unions in this. And the government were very badly bitten when they tried to get the schools to reopen. And the the unions unions basically beat them up. Mm. And this is a government which would would always claim to be very tough on that sort of thing. But actually, when they came up against the the teachers' unions, they completely flopped. 
and I think that they might do the same thing if they count against the civil services. They've been they've been once bitten and are very twice shy in all yeah. these things. Do you not be seriously? There's, there's nothing good about this. Well, I mean, I see so on Friday when we're supposedly going to have the um, the compulsory mask wearing coming into effect. I think that's going to have such a negative effect on so many people who don't want to then go into a shop at all. Uh, they'll have to reverse that anyway. I don't know whether they'll reverse it because, again, I, the, 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 there are two lobbies here. Uh, those who want us to do more and more of our trade on the Internet and stop using shops at all and stop using money and only use credit cards. Uh, those people will benefit. More people will say, OK, well, if shopping's going to involve having to wear a muzzle, I'm not going to bother. I'm, I'm going to go on the I'm going to get my stuff delivered. Yeah, I'm going to order it on the Internet. And I, I think it, it, the idea that it's going to increase confidence among those who are unhappy about going shopping seems to me to be far fetched. I mean, I'd be, it's, it, I, we, we could both be proved wrong on this, but I don't think that there's all that much enthusiasm for shopping as it is now because it's such a pain in the neck having mm. to go through all the procedures that one has to go through to, to get into a shop. Uh, so it's added to that is, is, is the business is having to put a muzzle on. I think people are just not going to do it. No, no, I think that's absolutely right. And as I've said many times as well, until such time we're as... We're all... too much, Mike. I we're know, it's, non- it's mad, isn't it? I'm, so, I'm just going to have to keep repeating a, sort of a mantra like that I still think they had to do it at the beginning because it's like the only thing I disagree <laughs> with you about now. But the point about this well, is... Well, that... you see, I told you you'd come around. <laughs> I know, it's a shocking state of affairs. But, you know, until we get the tourists back, I mean, I was talking to somebody in the hotel business the other day. Currently, hotels in London running at around about 10% occupancy. Everything in London revolves around tourism, by and large, in terms of the shops, in terms of the hotels, you know, the theatres, the restaurants, the bars, everything. And until such time as we get any tourists back, then London is a dead zone anyway. Of course, and travel, travel, of course, is a nightmare for anybody now wanting to do it. Yeah, and it was, it, it had become pretty unattractive with the security and uh, and with all of the the cutting down of every conceivable luxury and pleasantness in in travel for some time. But now, on top of that, the extra regimentation and again the muzzle wearing and the the bureaucracy which is involved in traveling is again putting people off and, and the fear. It is. Yeah, the, continu- the continuing un- un- unrelieved fear. It just goes on and on. And what do you see um, as the end point here? Because you must have thought about this. You must have thought there will have to be something that happens, some tipping point, something uh, which forces the government to change its, its way. Well, I'm afraid I think the thing which is going to, is, is going to put all this in the shade and make it all look very small is when the economic trouble really gets going. Uh, we're all going to be so worried about, about losing jobs, uh, about decline in income, about inflation, about rising taxes, about the cuts in public services, all of which I think will have to come together, that somehow we'll forget about this. This will be a, 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 an episode at the beginning which uh, we'll, we'll wonder about a bit, but we'll be so much more concerned with economic decline uh, that it will push it into the background. It, again and again, it makes me think of those wonderful John Wyndham science fiction books that Day of the Triffids and mm. the Second Wakes, where things begin with, a, with, with, a, with something on the news, which becomes a, a big story. And then, basically, you get the end of the world. And I think the end of the economic world is coming. Yeah. Or, or it that, could it be... wipe away so much of what we formerly knew. Well... Uh, that that we, we will just... We, we will be living... Again, I, I, I saw the catastrophe of the end of the fool's paradise that was the Soviet Union. 
People thought their jobs were secure. They thought their homes were secure. They thought everything, their children's educations and everything would go on as before. They thought life would be as it would be. And then suddenly it all turned upside down and it wasn't anymore and they had to cope. And they're still coping, though. I mean, you know, the, the end of the world didn't come in the Soviet Union, did it? It just changed. Well, this is the whole point. People think catastrophe means you know, that the uh, volcanoes will erupt and asteroids will strike the Earth and everything will stop and burn down and we'll all die. The, the thing that I learned about the end of the Soviet Union is a crucial thing, is that catastrophe happens and you survive it and you live on afterwards as a ghost of your former self. This is what I fear ever since I've seen it. I fear it for us. Well, listen, I lived through the 70s, so I'll be fine because I know what it's like. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I, I promise you that was that that that, that was uh, that was like that was like oh, I, a mild cold. Yeah. I mean, my children probably not will not be able to cope because they've lived a life of luxury for the best part of their lives. So, yeah. So they will suffer much well, more than me. No, but I, I remember I, sitting around prepared, a candle. Prepared for bad shocks. Well, we shall see. Well, listen, Peter, as ever, great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Indeed. I know you've got trains to catch, places to go, people to see. Peter Hitchens from the Mail on Sunday there uh, saying quite rightly that we are agreeing far too much. But there's no doubt, is there, in anybody's mind now um, that they are, uh, there are people out there who are deliberately and quite um, deciduously making decisions that will affect not just them, but the economy in general. You know, we keep being told, oh, you've got to be careful. You've got to stay alert. You've got to protect the NHS. You've got to protect other people's lives. You've got to not spread the disease. Well, I think it's time now, surely, for the government to have another message, which is you've now got to protect the economy. You've now got to get out there and you've got to go back to work. And if you run a company, you've got to get your people back to work. It's not good enough, as Katie said from Bristol there, uh, for people who run organisations that can put 2,000 people back into a building to say, don't bother coming back till next year. That's not going to play. That means that those 2,000 people are not going to spend the equivalent of even £5 to £10 a day buying a sandwich, buying a coffee, getting on a bus, going to the pub once in a while, buying, um, you know, I don't know, a tie, buying a shirt, um, buying a piece of underwear, because that's what they were walking past the shop and they wanted to buy. And if you're not walking around, you're not going to buy anything, are you? And that's no good. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're going over to Spain shortly to find out what's going on with Barcelona. They may be going into a bit of a lockdown. But we've had a theme this morning about what is going on in our cities, what is going on with our economy, why are companies being allowed to keep people at home when they shouldn't be allowed, in my view, to do that. I've got a very great uh, call that I'm going to take now. Richard Tice uh, from the Brexit Party, of course, a man uh, who was formerly uh, involved very much in our uh, bid to leave the European Union, uh, a successful bid as well. Businessman, Brexit Party chairman, of course, He's been listening to the show. He's called us now. Richard, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning to you, Mike. Thank you very much. Well, I'm uh, in Barclay Square in the heart of central London, and it is a ghost town. It is really, really serious. In the West End, there's about one in ten office workers back at work. In the city, I'm told it's it's less than 5%. And to give you a a statistic, my local coffee shop, uh, the guy said they're turning over 5% of normal turnover. You know, this is completely unsustainable. It is. Um, and I think it's unacceptable, to Richard, to be honest. Well, yeah, but I'm not, in fairness, though, I'm not sure, you know, you can't force people and companies how they operate. That, that has to be their core. But I think we are facing a, a major, major uh, seismic change in city centres, which is going to be very, very difficult in the short term. Yeah. I think yeah, so. I mean, and, and my worry, though, Richard, is that, you know, as much as we leave and, I, and you're a businessman and I appreciate what you're saying about giving businesses free will. But if you continue to subsidise business, if you continue to allow business to take an easy route, they will take that easy route. And I don't blame them for it. Similarly, if you pay people to work from home and, no, and, and they have a nice time hanging out with their wives and their children and their girlfriends or whatever it is, they'll continue to do it. But, you know, that's no good to the country. Correct. I think what's going to happen is you'll find, you know, hundreds of thousands of commuters, they'll say to their employer, I'm happy to come in two days a week, yeah. but not five days a week. Right. And so, you know, things are going to adapt. Employers are going to save money. But, the, you know, the impact on all of the businesses that service the office community, cafes, mm. bars, restaurants, you know, dry cleaners, uh, locksmiths, yeah. all of this, uh, you're going to see a collapse in employment. And I don't think that our leaders, Sadiq and... Uh, Rishi, I don't think they've really woken up to this at all. I think you're going to have to look at a huge long-term shift in the way that business rates are, are uh, imposed on city centre businesses. Uh, yeah, I mean, for example, here in the centre town, there are no big hotels open, no. none at all. There's no, there's no tourists. People are not coming back to town. I mean, there's going to be major financial impact. You know, landlords are going to go bust. Uh, it, it's going to be very, very painful over the next six to nine months. Well, yeah, months. I mean, I'm, you, you probably heard me saying, I mean, if I'm looking over at the Gherkin and the, the walkie-talkie, these high-rise, beautiful, yeah. you know, buildings that have gone up in, in London in the past, say, 20 years, you know, if they're going to sit empty, what are you going to do with them, you know? Well, the only other value for them, Mike, is, uh, is residential. Yeah. Uh, but there's going to be a, a major amount of pain as, as landlords take the hit uh, and then, then, you know, pay for the conversion. Mm. There is, there is an opportunity out of this. For example, 
at the moment of pain when lots of sort of secondary offices, Leicester offices are sitting there empty, maybe the Mayor of London should look basically to buy a huge quantity of offices up and convert them to residential and make them affordable housing, things like that. So, you know, try and create a positive out of what yeah. in the short term is going to be a real negative. Absolutely, because what I don't want to see, Richard, is my home city of London turning into sort of Oslo with loads of people cycling about and lots of like trees and green spaces and, you know, lots of people in tents waving, you know, ridiculous modules around in the air or something, blowing bubbles. That's not what I want. You know, I want my city to be vibrant. I want it to be busy. I want it to be um, slightly crazy, but great, you know? Absolutely, but to do that, we've got to encourage people back to work. And I'm afraid the sight of having, you know, people having to wear a mask going into shops is going to have the opposite effect. People are just going to shop online, mm. and you know they're not going to come into town. Uh, you know, Sadiq's uh, increasing the congestion charge and making it 24/7 again is a commercial disaster. Yeah. So you know, um, customers and employees and businesses have got to be encouraged, incentivized to come back into town and to share the load of getting the economy going. Otherwise, you know, we are not getting out of this no, anytime I soon. Totally agree. Richard, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. We must get you on for a longer time at some point soon. Richard Tice there, uh, Chairman of the Brexit Party, of course. Uh, a man that knows a thing or two about London, a thing or two about Brussels, and a thing or two about the economy as well. Speaking of which, let's go live now uh, to Madrid. Rebecca Nunes is our political correspondent, of course. She's been in Madrid uh, for Talk Radio ever since the start of the lockdown. Uh, I would imagine she's going to be quite keen to be getting back here to London. But the bad news is, if you're thinking about going over to Spain, uh, it looks as though there may well be uh, some more local lockdowns being put into force, possibly one in Barcelona. Rebecca, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Lovely to see you as always. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Tell us what the latest news is on Barcelona in particular, uh, and is it affecting any other areas uh, where people might be going on holiday? Well, um, the number of infections in Spain has spiked. Uh, this is the last figures from uh, Friday. Uh, they haven't updated them yet since then. So this was uh, 628 new cases. This is the biggest increase since the lockdown ceased to be in place and the worst numbers in around two months. And uh, most of these new cases are found in Catalonia and Aragon. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, uh, we spoke, there was a first outbreak, the first uh, local lockdowns, but now it's arrived uh, to the big cities and mm. the two biggest cities affected are Barcelona and Zaragoza. What has changed is um, these new uh, infections, they are more symptomatic, which is why they're finding more difficult to uh, find them. It's about 70% of them are asymptomatic. Uh, slowly, their hospitalizations and intensive cares are growing and uh, the profile of the new these new infected people is less than 50 years old okay. so this is due to the activities people are doing so it's all the going out the meeting up with friends well probably those older people are still um at, at either at their care homes or at home mm. still being a bit um scared um so most of these recent outbreaks the last in the last two three days are due to parties okay um so that is one thing that's actually worrying uh, people. Um, I can tell you a bit of the Catalonia. So what happened is, well, during the state of alarm, it was Madrid, the epicenter of the pandemic. And now Catalonia has uh, doubled uh, the cases than in Madrid. Uh, the Catalonia government has decided to apply some measures. Um, and this includes in Barcelona. 
So this is not a lockdown. It's some measures so they can avoid to do a harder lockdown further down the line. So what they're asking people is to stay at home unless it's strictly necessary to go outside. Uh, no reunions of more than 10 people. Uh, people should not go to the second residences. The indoor capacity, for example, or in bars will be capped to 50%. Nightclubs, gyms, uh, theatres and cinemas have been closed and businesses will have to be with a prior appointment. This was in, I think they put it in place on Saturday and it will be now for 15 uh, days. But actually the images we saw during this weekend was uh, that people didn't really respect these recommendations and we could see images of the beach in Barcelona completely packed. Uh, people were not listening and even some, uh, all the beaches had to be closed due okay. to crowding. So are they stopping travel at all from people coming in from outside of the country? Can you still fly in uh, or can you, say, drive into Barcelona? You you can still uh, um, go come to Spain. You can still fly in. That's absolutely fine. Um, the other one of the cities I was telling you is Zaragoza. That, again, this is... The, they, they're not considering them lockdowns yet. So it's recommendations. So, for example, Zaragoza, the recommendation is don't go in or out of the city. Uh, they've got policemen, they've, they've put more policemen to actually tell people, please don't go, dissuade them to go, of going out and going in. But it is not a lockdown yet. So people can still come to the country. People still can um, come on holidays. Um, so for now, in that case, it's still fine. OK. And let me ask you one question finally before we let you go about masks, because I know um, that uh, you were asked to wear masks in Spain when you went out originally, uh, when the lockdown was lifted. What's the situation now? So um, the Comunidad the comunidad Valenciana uh, was the latest region to make mandatory the use of masks. So most regions in Spain have implemented that you have to wear a mask mandatorily. There's only two regions that haven't implemented this, which is Madrid and the Canary Islands. And Madrid has asked younger people, please use them. And the Canary Islands is ruling it out, but they will uh, put reinforce the controls in bars and parties. So this means... Um, even if you can respect the social distance of 1.5 meters, you have to wear a face mask. Uh, may, so there will be a mandatory in public spaces, indoors and outdoors, and on the streets. They remind you it has to go from the nose, covering to the chin, and if not, it's 100 euros fine. Obviously, there's the exceptions we had before, like under six years old, if you've got an index, respiratory difficulties. But again, this depends on where you are. So mm. this all comes again, the complication I've been telling you throughout all these months. Um, it, the, so it will depend on each autonomous regions. For example, Andalusia, you have to wear it in the beach. You don't have to wear it, obviously, if you're swimming or sunbathing. But then, for example, in the Balearic Islands, you don't have to wear it on the beach. So I think, and I would recommend people before going to Spain, it depends where they're going, to make sure they know which are... Uh, the measures they have to uh, take so they don't get a fine for not wearing a face okay. mask where they should. Sounds like you should bring a mask with you if you're going to go to Spain at any point. Rebecca, thanks very much indeed. Stay safe where you are. Uh, Rebecca Nunes there, Talk Radio's political correspondent, reporting into us from Madrid, uh, where it would appear that there's going to be a local lockdown of one kind or another uh, in Barcelona. Uh, it doesn't stop you from going there, but it does stop you from doing certain things when you are there. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is that time, of course. We are just after uh, the 12.30 news and it's time for our homeschooling section, uh, which has been a great success, it has to be said, uh, over the course of the lockdown. Uh, we have learned a great many things about all manner of different uh, uh, sort of subjects. We learned uh, all about the sea. We've learned all about the clouds. We've learned all about space in some ways, but we haven't learned quite as much about space as we want to know because there's always something more that we could be getting our head around. And I'm delighted to say uh, we are welcoming back for the first time in a while Greg Smy-Rumsby, our favourite space expert from astronomynow.com. And because, Greg, we're going to talk about Mars, aren't we? We are indeed, yes. Welcome. Uh, the, Arab, the Arab nation launching for the first time a mission to Mars called HOPE. And it's going to study the atmosphere of Mars and take some high-resolution pictures of the surface. So there we are. Yes. Now, why suddenly have they decided to get themselves interested in uh, space exploration? Uh, only that they, they they want to show the world like like most nations do. They want to sort of flag up the fact that they're they're not being left behind and that they're just as comfortable with building technologies that can investigate other worlds and go into deep space and all the rest of it. It's a, it's a, it's a good way of of promoting the country in a way. Yes, I suppose so. And th- does it mean that when you enter into a sort of space program? I mean, in- India now has a very well established uh, space program, uh, as do many other countries as well. Um, but the UAE getting into it, did they need to sort of import some expertise or uh, have they got their own experts how did they do it no they do have their own experts uh, but obviously they would have seen other nations and uh, they, they borrow on the back of those technologies of course they do every nation does i mean there was a classic case of when the space shuttle was was first flown in 1981 the, the russians decided to basically steal the idea mm. and they actually made quite a nice thing called buran storm and it, it it had a jet engine that could actually fly weirdly uh, unlike the space shuttle which glided down to, to and had to land you know there was right. no means of really flying okay so, yeah they, they borrow on other technologies absolutely and and the uae leaders have been uh, particularly proud tweeting out uh, the uh, his highness sheikh mohammed we proudly announced the successful launch of the hope probe the ground control station in dubai has received the first signal from the probe after its solar panels were successfully deployed to charge its batteries uh, our 493 million uh, kilometer journey to the red planet starts here uh, that was at about 9:39 this morning uh, local time i guess so what is it they're hoping to to get back and what is it that the rest of the world can maybe learn from this well, it's, it's going to study the atmosphere of Mars. I mean, NASA already have a spacecraft doing exactly that job called MAVEN. Uh, but, of course, with each spacecraft, you, you have a limited amount of weight you can actually put in orbit around Mars. Uh, so having another spacecraft with another suite of instruments, which are perhaps fine-tuned to a slightly different way of looking at, at the atmosphere of Mars, you can work out why Mars has lost its atmosphere. Mm. And more importantly, did it have an atmosphere in the past that was more beneficial to life or maybe could support life. And that's where we have now three missions that are all going to land on Mars next February. You've got HOPE, which will go into orbit around Mars. Then you've got um, uh, the Tianwen number one mission, the Chinese version of landing a little rover on the surface of Mars. It's quite small, the rover, but mm. by comparison to, say, NASA's Perseverance rover, which is over a ton in weight. Um, and, and these are is that sort of like the size of a tank or something, that like the Perseverance rover? The, the pers- pers- about the size of a van. Okay. I mean, the best way, a van, but it's got, it's got other bits sticking out, like a little mast and all the rest of it, and lasers, and it, it, it's going to do an amazing job. What Perseverance is going to do, though, we, I mean, there was this quest to look for water, because we're carbon-based life yes. forms, 
and we run using water. So look for water. And, and that was, the, that was the, the mantra that was always spouted out in 60s and 1970s, go and search for the water. And we did that. We did that. But what we're doing now is actually looking for real evidence that there were things living on the surface of Mars in mm. some weird way, right. almost certainly microbial, and that's what Perseverance is going to do. And it's going to pack up these little capsules um, ready to be picked up by another mission. So we're not all landing everything. It's not everything for everything for everything. It's, it's one purpose, then you land something else that does a different, slightly different purpose, and, and so on and so forth. So hopefully we'll get some things back from Mars yes. that maybe, just maybe, contain fossils. And many of these trips now are kind of one-way trips, aren't they? They're, you're not bringing anything back, in, in a sense. It's, it's, you're, you're kind of beaming stuff back, but you're not necessarily actually bringing things back. No, we've never brought anything back from Mars at all. I mean, there have been a few ideas and discussions, but uh, the Perseverance is, is now the, the forerunner of a real return mission. There, there, there's a mission, the European mission uh, is going to go to Mars as a backup to Perseverance, an American mission, and they're going to sort of glove-in-hand type thing, and they're going to pick up these samples, which Perseverance is going to lay down, and then it's going to put them in a little tiny little rocket, and it's going to bring it back all the way to the Earth. So, so for the first time, we'll have in our university laboratory laboratories all around the world, little bits of Mars we can study, Ooh. for real. Oh, wow. So some of that might end up in the Science Museum, I hope. One of my favourite things yeah. in the Science Museum, <laughs> I think I've told you, is, a, is that piece of moon rock, which I like looking yeah, at. Buried in a piece of plastic, I know. How sad is that? Well, I suppose just... some idiot would steal it, wouldn't he, if we didn't do it right? <laughs> maybe, maybe, absolutely. And what but, about you know, the, what these, about the yeah. private sector? How's that going these days? You know, the likes uh, of Elon Musk and others who are, you know. Uh, I mean, he's coming up with some pretty cool stuff, isn't he? Oh, spaceship! You're talking about spaceship, yeah, yeah absolutely. Sorry, starship. Well, uh, I just like his ro rocket. the rocket, his rockets that go up and come back down again. They're, they're brilliant. I mean, the pretty cool. Starship is even better. Hmm. This is huge. This is as tall as the Saturn V rocket, but the same width all the way up. It's right. nine meters across. We could, I could stick my wow. house inside that rocket with room to spare. And how does house. that? How does that work, sort of aerodynamically, if it's not tapering to a, to a point? You know, the science fiction comics of the past, where you had these rockets like Dan Dare and all the rest of it, hmm. and they had a classical. Sort I used to of like shape. Dan Dare. Absolutely, with with the, the the sort of fat-bellied rocket with little wings and a, yes. maybe a cockpit at the front. That is exactly exactly what Starship looks like. It actually looks like a classical rocket. Right. In fact, this is this is this, I don't know how true this is, but it certainly had quite a lot of gravitas. Mm. A statement put out, I think, on Twitter or something, that suggested that Elon Musk original his original idea for Starship was it should look like exactly like Tintin's rocket. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting until he does one like the. Like like that, that spaceship in Flash Gordon. That's the one I want to see. <laughs> to be honest, it's somewhat similar to that, actually. Yeah. The, I always, always remember with Flash Gordon, though, that when the engines ignited, all the smoke went up and all yes. the sparks went down. Yes. Uh, that's well, listen, for you. <laughs> listen, you know, you can't, you can't have everything. But I was, it was wonderfully sort of um, Art Deco, I thought. Yes, and in, in a way, this, this Starship is a little bit like that. But, mm. wow, it's the, it will be the most powerful rocket ever sent into space. Yeah. And what's great is that there's no wastage. It all returns to the Earth to be restacked and launched again, the whole thing. In fact, it, uh, kilo for kilo, it's going to be the cheapest method of getting things into space by a long way. Yes. Not by a small, you know, a, a few percent. We're talking about several hundred percent mm. you know that, that is ridiculous right so parents who are sitting around listening to this with their children who say primary yeah. school age children under 10 
But by yep. the time they're kind of 50, um, what, what do you think we'll have been able to do with Mars? OK. Um, Elon Musk wants to colonise it. I, 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 we can't really live on Mars uh, at all because it doesn't have any magnetic... It can't be any worse than Croydon. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing, Mike. We shouldn't be laughing. No, I know. Uh, so, so it doesn't have uh, any uh, protection from the solar radiation yeah. or, or the radiation coming from the stars. So you will die fairly Fairly short thrift, I'm afraid. Right. Um, you could possibly live underground, but no dogs, no cats, no pets, no no entertainment. It, it, so you couldn't have a sort of total recall type situation. No, no, it won't be at a dome. It, it, no, honestly, it, it, it's just hell on earth, mm. or rather, sorry, hell on Mars. It, <laughs> don't go there. Seriously, don't do it. Um, but but we will be ferrying astronauts and 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 interested um civilians uh with with their own ideas about how they could mine mars and all the rest right. of it that's where we need to go commercially we need to do that sort of thing to, right. to go to mars to use it use its resources for our benefit could we have a sort of floating colony as it were like a sort of um you know like a huge spaceship i'm not talking like uh, the death star but something really big yeah. that people could live on no, no. You see, no? The, the, the problem you've got is you don't have gravity, and our bodies like gravity. They're like 1G, in mm. fact. The way our bodies work, our hearts pump, our legs move, our arms and everything, all that cardiovascular stuff is governed by 1G. Mm. You change it to zero or you change it to greater than 1G on a continuous basis, and your body has difficulties. Your, your joints begin to seize up, your, your heart and lungs don't work properly, and you start getting headaches, which would never go away. Your, uh, card, and, and also your, your um, uh, synodic rhythm, your mm. day and night, and all your, the way your body works needs 24 hours of day and night, and that begins to get completely screwed up. So, no, living, living away from the Earth is not good. It's not good for the human, human way, I'm afraid, at No. All. Indeed. Well, one final question uh, for you, yeah. which, which yeah. is not terribly academic, comes from Dan. Uh, please could you ask uh, your guest if there is a large obelisk on Mars with a message on it uh, from aliens to us? Obviously, that's yeah. not right, right? Uh, not, not right, no, I'm afraid. Uh, that Arcadia is a, a part of Mars which has always been sort of looked at with this famous face that looked out in the early, rather low-resolution images with certain lighting conditions. It looked a bit like a face, but when you start looking at it in a, in a bit more detail, you realise that it actually is a landform. So, no, there, 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 there are no aliens on Mars, and uh, certainly not today. They might have been, but they would have been in a microbial state. They, they would not have de developed really beyond any single-cell nature, I'm afraid. They no. would have been more like the, the early, very early life forms on the Earth. Quite. Well, fascinating nonetheless, Greg. Thank you very much indeed. As ever, Greg Smyre Rumsby, space expert from astronomynow.com uh, on Mars, not least because the UAE uh, today sent up their first mission to Mars, uh, having decided to get themselves their very own space programme. They've certainly got the money for it. Why not indeed? Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.